Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today, August 11th, 2022, we continue our series, Chronicles of the Kingdom, Lesson 31, Kingdom Light. Jesus did not come to establish a Christian religion or any other religion. He didn't come to give us a religious order or to provide us with a set of ritualistic rules, practices, on how we're going to get to heaven when we die. Jesus came to redeem mankind. He came and now abides, lives within believers, And he's establishing a very practical kingdom of God. It's a kingdom in which peace and goodwill prevails. You know, one of the mistakes that religious thinking people uh, do is that they consider Jesus as some sort of champion of the Christian religion. And then we go on to compare our champion with other champions in other religions. See, this is not understanding the truth. Jesus is not a champion. Jesus is Lord. He is God incarnate. There is no comparison. He's not a champion. He's not like someone that you put up like this is the best that we have. I mean, yes, Jesus is the best, but he's not the best man. He is he is the Lord who's come to save us. He's not an equal to anyone. See, when we start thinking of champions, it's like, I'm going to put my best against your best. And see, that's what we do. We boil Jesus down into a champion that takes on Satan. Um, they're not comparable. They're not even in the same league. Understand that. They're not even in the same league. It would be like Comparing a kid in peewee football, age five or whatever, and comparing him to an NFL All-Pro Hall of Famer at the height of his prime. He just gets stepped on. There's no comparison. Jesus isn't the champion of some religion. He is the Lord. See, and understanding this helps us. Because we take what we know of Jesus and because of the religion within us, we want to try to catalog, classify. We want to label our religious doctrines and practices. 
you know, the, the wisdom, the truth, the understanding given through Jesus Christ is not for those purposes. Believe it or not, Jesus did not come. His words that he's given us is not for establishing theology, religious services, and religious ritual. Ponder that for a second. The words of Jesus is not about what theology we have, what religious services we do, or any other religious ritual. The teachings of Jesus are to be a foundational framework for guiding and empowering believers with kingdom authority. Now, what do I mean by kingdom authority? I'm talking about how do you live life? And see, and this is very practical. How are you going to live in the kingdom of God? How are you going to be empowered? And we need to be empowered because we were fallen creatures that he's come to redeem and he's empowering us to live in his kingdom. He's not empowering us so that we can have good theology. He's not empowering us so that we can have some sort of religious service or ritual work that we do. It's about living life. I don't have a lot of scriptures for this lesson, but I want to start off with this one, John Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations will say, understands it. And then another even says, overcomes it. In other words, the darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness cannot understand light. Darkness cannot comprehend light. And what light is it referring to? It's, it's Jesus. He is life, and his life is the light of men. Now, as we sit back and we want to meditate on this, because our lesson is called kingdom light you know we last week we discussed the kingdom age the church age how does that implicate and impact us and today we're talking about kingdom light what light are we referring to we're talking about the light of jesus christ living within the believers he is the light but not only that but it says the light is literally the life of jesus and that his life has come into this world of darkness. And darkness does not understand it. And that's why I started off talking about what? He did not, Jesus did not come to start a religion. He's not into religious service. Now, I understand that we say, well, we have Christianity. That's a religion of the world. You understand that in the end, in eternity... When it's all said and done, there are no religions. It is the creator God and his creation. There is no other acts of human service. That's, that's, that's part of the darkness does not understand. 
Because when we start getting into religion, we're talking about human mind and philosophy and, and what we think. What we think ultimately doesn't matter. When you stand before God at the end, our opinions and thoughts do not matter. What suddenly matters is what does the Creator say. In that moment, do you want to hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you want Him to say, I know you. Or do you want Him to say, you know, I don't know about this thing you, you believe. I don't know you. Depart from me. See, that's that's ultimately what this boils down to. Because what matters when he says, I know you, is do you have his life in you? Because, you know, he came to redeem us. He didn't come to set up some sort of ritual for us to perform. He came to redeem us. He came to give us life and you see in understanding this we have to understand that there are many I hate to say Christians I almost hate to say believers there are people that claim Christianity they claim to be believers and maybe they are I'm not here to debate that but they separate religious from real within their mind. I mean, let's let's really try to get this. Like, they want to separate their religion from reality. And they do this in their mind. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, I pause here as I think about the examples that I want to use. Um, there are so many of them. And I'm trying to be careful with my words, but sometimes it's, it's difficult because I'm a type of person I, I, I shoot from the mouth. But when I say they separate, there's there's times when we say, I believe this religiously almost like I call it the VBS vacation Bible school type of answers you know we, we all we get around children and we see VBS's or maybe you grew up in a VBS and the answer is always Jesus we, there's lots of Christian jokes about you know oh Jesus is always the answer Jesus is always the answer and we make light of it and then there's you go out into the quote real world and you begin to apply a different set of standards because you've separated religion and, quote, real, real world. I can remember a friend of mine was witnessing to someone and he had been trying to share them about the Lord and God and things. And this person had a, a spouse who was sick and was getting a bad diagnosis of cancer. And they were really uh, worried and upset. And they, they came and they asked for prayer. And as they were being prayed for, they were trying to be encouraged about the Lord. And the person would say, yes, yes, I know God is a healer, but this is cancer. And then we tell them something else about the goodness of the Lord. And they say, well, yeah, yeah, I know God is this and this, but 
this is cancer. And for everything we could tell about the Lord, it was always followed with, but this is cancer. And I understand cancer is serious, but, but, listen to my but. They had separated in their minds. God was a religious thing that had religious answers on one side. But when they say this is cancer, they're saying, but this is real. That's okay over here, but this is a reality that can't be overcome. Do you understand when you do that, you're showing your unbelief in the Lord? Do you understand that what you're really saying is going that that? As long as my religion, my philosophy, my ideas are this conceptual thing, but they cannot really interfere with reality, because ultimately what you're saying is that's make-believe. That's the Jesus VBS answer. It's just make-believe. It's something that little children believe, and we go along with it because it's the acceptable religious thing to do you see the darkness does not comprehend the darkness does not understand the life of Jesus and I know I'm using a serious example because it is true God heals cancer but God also doesn't always heal and we take that when God doesn't and we've dissected it. Listen, I'm not here to talk about when God does or does not do something. The point is, is that we take those sort of examples and we justify why we should separate these things. And ultimately, what I want to get at is this idea that the world is more real than our Lord. And before we go further, we have to understand, we say with our minds, oh no, that's not what we mean. But we do because we act upon it. And we've taken Jesus and we're cataloging him into a theology on why he should or shouldn't do things. Jesus, again, did not come to be cataloged as a theology. He came to redeem us and empower us to live life. And religion, it can become a blinding force that robs us of sight. We can't see. We cannot understand. You see, it takes, it'll take portions of scripture and we suddenly cannot see the meaning and application for our lives. Let me repeat that. This religious thinking, and it's a darkness, it takes the words of Scripture so that we can't see the meaning and application for it in our life. See, we can hear the words spoken, and yet we suddenly don't have ears to hear the powerful truth which will affect our daily life. See, the, suddenly the Word of God it only becomes a doctrine or a religious portion of our lives. and has little effect 
on our actual living life. It has no effect on the kingdom of God ruling our life. And you see, when that happens, we totally miss the empowering effect of the kingdom of God upon us. Because we're looking at it with religious eyes. Sometimes I'll say we look at things with denominationally colored vision. Now, there, there is a place for denominations. I'm not going to totally trash denominations. There is a place for those. It's, it, you're talking about like-minded people, and I understand that. But sometimes there's a difference between I want to be in a denomination because we're like-minded, like-visioned, versus I will blindly subscribe to a belief system that's not scriptural. I've met people that will cling to a catechism and then try to make their Bible prove their catechism rather than holding to the Word of God. See, that's denominational colored vision. We should be holding upon the words of Jesus to live have his life lived in us. Not some man-made philosophy that was done years ago. And I'm not saying that when you hear those things, they're just totally untruths. But they are man-made, and you have to understand, if it's a man-made thing, it may be a tool that's useful, but it's an imperfect tool. And we're not to worship our tools. And unfortunately, sometimes we do. Let's continue to, to uh, look upon this, this light you know, we Matthew 6, 9 through 10, this is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he says, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, some of us have, heard this so many times we've almost got this passage of scripture memorized and yet it's become a religious ritual and we gloss over the empowering practical life that it is speaking that verse 10 it says your kingdom come okay we're talking about the kingdom of god this lesson kingdom light you know what's that kingdom light light is the life your kingdom come. You know, Jesus, when he came, he'd walk up to people and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of, of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is near. He said when, 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 when demons were cast out, when the sick were healed, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Ultimately, he said the kingdom of God is within us. Here, Jesus is teaching us to praise, and we're praying to the Father, and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really hear the words? Your will. In other words, this is the will of God. Is the will of God being done? Is it being done in your life? That's what you're praying for, is you're praying that the will of God be done 
in your life right here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, if we don't actually want to live out the will of God, we're using empty words. And so many times in our lives, that's exactly what we do. And we say, oh God, I got this horrible thing that's going on and I know that you're good, but this is reality. It's, we're, not, it's not, we're no longer saying your will be done. We're saying, I know the little Sunday school answer, but the earth rules over you. And that's not what the prayer is. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. You know, his kingdom is the one that Jesus said people are saved and delivered and demons are driven and, and healings come and you got all this stuff. And it's your will be done. Your, where? Where is that will done? In your life. The kingdom of God resides in you. If, if the kingdom of God is not in us, how can we expect to apply that to things around us? It's silly. Heaven has to erupt out of us. There's a large portion of scripture I want to get into. And it is long. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 10. And it is for a podcast like this um, that's a pretty good lengthy portion of scripture. I know this year I'm doing Chronicles of the Kingdom. Traditionally I would teach just an entire chapter on a Sunday or, or some message and I would just go verse by verse. I, 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 I like doing that. When it's, it's hard to, quote, have people accuse you of preaching at their issues when you're just reading the scripture and going through it. Uh, that, that's God reading you. But it's difficult to do on a podcast, one where we're attempting to keep the, the lesson long enough to be good, but short enough that it's not overly boring because when you listen on the internet, you know, when you hear these hour, hour and a half long messages, you, you turn out. I understand that. I'm the same way. And I love listening to stuff. But bear with me as I try to go through this scripture in the time that we have. And obviously I can't cover everything. Starting verse one says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, Necessities, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, right here, we're getting to start off. It's Paul, and he's talking to us, believers, believers in Christ. Keep the context, because later on when he starts coming down on you a little bit, you can't just say, well, he's not talking about me. Yeah, he's talking about us. He's talking to us as believers. He says, verse 4, I thank God, thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him and all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ 
who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to show up there because, again, he's not just talking about anyone. He's talking about believers. Believers, Christ is confirmed in us. We know we're, we, we, we lack no gifts. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord, for the day that we're made blameless. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you. Uh-oh. He's pleading with us. Why is he pleading with us? Verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions amongst you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am Paul, or I am Apollos, or I am Cephas, or I am Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. At least anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, I'm going to stop right there because he's pleading with them. Why is he pleading with them? Because there are divisions and they're arguing. You know, what are they arguing about? They're saying, well, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. And Cephas, by the way, was Peter. I'm a Christ. Paul's like, why is there this division? Again, he's talking about believers. These are Christians. They, they've, been, they've been confirmed Christians. Sometimes I hear people go, well, they weren't really saved. Listen, these were saved people here. These are believers like you and me. And they're arguing about their divisions. You know, why are they arguing divisions? Why this and that? It's, they're arguing theologies. They're arguing doctrines. They're not living the light in them. They're arguing ultimately the same way that the apostles, the disciples did when they were Jesus on who's the greatest. You know, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Which one sits at the right and left hand, Jesus? They're arguing this sort of junk. That's why Paul's jumping in on this. He's like, well, wait a minute. Was I crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And now he throws out this because this is more than just about being baptized and baptism. But baptism had become a ritual. It was already becoming a ritual in the first church. How do you know this? We know this because Paul is already talking about the divisions and he specifically brings up baptism. And we know what baptism he's referring to is specifically about water baptism, not Holy Spirit. But how do we know that? Because he says, are you baptized into the name of Paul? And he talks about, I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Now, if he's talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, we see in the book of Acts many times when Paul preaches and all kinds of people are baptized into the Holy Spirit. We see that there's more than just two people baptized in the Holy Spirit with the Apostle Paul. We see this in the book of Acts. However, what you don't see in the book of Acts is it talking about Paul baptizing with water. 
Now, we do have an instance where Paul goes to Ephesus, and Apollos was there, and he asked them what baptism were they baptized in, and they said John's, and he's talking about that's a baptism of water. So we see, just in that one instance, that Apollos was baptizing people in water. So he's talking about water baptism, and Paul's basically saying, listen, I've only baptized a couple of people. And then he begins to follow it up with, I didn't preach with words. Well, how can you preach without using words? Well, let's, let's continue this. Because he says, verse 17, I'm going to back up a little bit. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who have been saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? I'm going to stop right there for a second. See, he gets into this. It's not about words of wisdom from men. He says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So here we go. We're talking about kingdom life, the light of God in us. These, the, the things that the darkness cannot understand what God is doing. When, when, when darkness hears the message of, of the cross, when darkness hears the message of God, the power of God, it suddenly becomes foolish to that. But God said, I'm going to literally destroy the wise. I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy the, the wisdom of this age, the philosophy, the doctrine, the, the, the religious ritual, the, the stuff of men that we think is more real than him. God is going to destroy. Verse 21, For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, did not know God, and it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, when it, right here, when he's talking about Jews and Greeks, listen, we can... We can we translate that, that's like believers and non-believers, okay? Jews were the ones that had the law, they had the understanding of God. Greeks did not. It says, Jews request a sign. How many Christians are running after signs and wonders? I believe God does signs and wonders, okay? I'm, I'm, I, I believe in the moving and power of God. But understand, Jews are always, give us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign. And he was standing right there. So many of us Christians, we do say, God, give me a sign to know this is true. When the truth is staring you right in the face. And Greeks seek after wisdom. How many times do we see non-believers? Well, give me some proof. You know, you know, argue with me. Try to convince me. And we give them Jesus. Jesus is a stumbling block to religious people. He's a stumbling block. And he's foolishness to the non-believers. However, to both people, Jews and Greeks, believers, non-believers, Jesus is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. And he takes 
the it says the foolishness of God, the foolishness of sometimes the stuff we believe in God is actually wiser than men. And what we think is weak of God is stronger than anything that we have. Pick back up in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things in the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things in the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glorifies let him glory in the Lord. I know there's a mouthful. But in this passage, God's talking about he's taking, he's purposefully taking things in this world where we go, well, this is real. This is real. And he's flipping everything upside down. He's going to show his might by using things that are weak. He's going to say, when we say that can't be done, he's going to do it. Why? Because he's, he's trying to show us how broken our world is and how good he is. He's trying to take all these things Things that we have built up that we think is so great and is not. And he's trying to open our eyes to the truth. That the, the things that we believe in our flesh with our, quote, human eyes and we go, this is so real. It's not real. He's, he's looking at he's looking at things from eternity. Things that we're going to have to face, but we don't know. And we in our wisdom think we know, but we don't. And he's trying to right now in our little lives show us that the things that we think is so incredible are nothing. They're nothing. And he's doing it by taking the things that we think is nothing and showing us just how powerful and eternal the things are on the other side. Because in the end, as it says, we can't glory in our flesh. We have to glory in him because that's the truth. Chapter 2 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know, to not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here, Paul's saying, listen, I didn't come to you and just, I didn't try to convince you. I'm not trying to use human words and arguments and philosophies. He said, when I came, I came with the spirit and power of God. And why did he come with the spirit and power of God? That our faith is not about the words of men. Our faith needs to be in Jesus, the life of it's practical. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Oh, there's that mystery thing. You see, and he's saying, listen, we're speaking stuff. And if you're mature enough to hear these words, then you'll understand it. 
but it's not, just maturity is not about the way the the world views things. When we try to view Jesus and try to understand him with the understanding of the world using the world's ways, it's like science is cool, science is nifty, but science will never understand God. And if you try to understand God through a scientific lens, you, you don't understand because why? That's coming to nothing. That's coming to nothing. And that's why the, the wisdom of God is a mystery. Let's read this. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, it's talking about the rulers of this age. It's not just talking about Romans and Jews. It's talking about who's the rulers of this age? Satan. The demonic principalities. If they would have known, they would not have done this. Verse 9. But as is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you understand? God has prepared things that no one has seen. I have a big imagination. I have a huge imagination. And when I read this, it gives me chills. Because it's God saying, whatever good thing I can imagine with my great imagination is worthless. It can't even touch, can't even begin to enter into me just how good God really is. Verse 10, last one. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. So, again, this goes back to almost like the lesson one. Mystery. God does not hide things. This is what? He has revealed them. The mysteries that the world does not understand. The light that the darkness does not understand. God is revealing to us. Through his spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can search all those deep things of God. And it's through that that he reveals to us the wonderful truths. And the practicality of living out the kingdom. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this lesson. I know it was a mouthful in such a short time. But, Father, I pray, God, that you would empower the people listening, God, that your life and your words is about living life. It's about living your life, God. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes, God, to gain wisdom, revelation for living out your truth and your kingdom, God, that your will would be done in their lives that they live, God. That, Father, it wouldn't be their will, but your will that will be lived out, God. Lord, I thank you that you're speaking truth, God. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. You can listen to other earlier lessons where you're building week upon week in this series, Chronicles of the Kingdom. And you can find those at ChristianImpact.net. I know the formats we have, we're on many channels, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, uh, Samsung, there, there are many different platforms. Um, share these with your friends. And until next time, God bless. Oh.